Thank you, Pastor Bob and praise team for all you do. Who had a good Thanksgiving? Who ate too much on Thanksgiving? Who's going to just continue to eat too much until January 1st and just start it all over again? I love this season of the year. I, I just love the, the, the entirety of that the, through Thanksgiving, through Christmas. It's, it's all about family. It's all about being together. It's all about just having a, a good time with each other. And I believe it's a good time to focus on God. Amen? And uh, so that's what we're going to do here for the next few minutes. You know, resources matter. Uh, the resources we have in life matter. What, what we source our power on, what we depend on to get through the day matters. As we just came through Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving is an opportunity to look back and give thanks to God for the resources He's poured into our life. As a matter of fact, the first Thanksgiving, we're, we're all familiar with the uh, picture book story that we learned when we were in grade school, that the Native Americans, the Indians helped the pilgrims, and they, they taught them about growing corn and, and doing other things, and because of, of their influence, they were able to survive in this new world and have a harvest. And at the end of this harvest, there was this, this gigantic, this big celebration. At least this happened one time. Uh, there was this big celebration where they celebrated not just the pilgrims, but pilgrims and Native Americans and Indians, and, and, the, and they had this time of feasting together. And, and it, was, it was looking at, they were celebrating God's provision for them. Uh, they, they were celebrating that God was the giver of life and in this new world where there was opportunity to, there was opportunity to, to, to die as opposed to living, that, that God had provided a way for them and they had life. Resources matter. And, and we need to take the time to reflect on the resources of our life and, and what we depend on to give us life. We, we need money and we need food. We need water. We, we, we need all these things. Aren't you thankful? Did you have heat in your house last night? If so, raise your hand. Aren't you thankful, right? You, you drove cars uh, to, to church. You, you, you took a shower this morning, right? Right? Did they, if they didn't take a shower, nudge the person next to you. Uh, we have the opportunity to shower and eat and, and drink water. We have resources. And the question is, what are you depending on, or who are you depending on for those resources? If I were to say, what gives you life? How would you answer that question? I mean, so we, we could fill that blank with a lot of things. Well, I, my job gives me life. My family gives me life. My, my freedom gives me life. My, my faith system gives me life. But today we're going to talk about what gave Jesus life, and what gave Jesus life was God. Jesus was dependent on his heavenly Father. Now, we're in the middle of our Jesus Here series. We're week three, and there's six weeks of the series, and it's our Advent series. We started it three weeks ago, and, and, and the point, the main point of the series has been this. The Christ event is not a point in history. It is a change in history. It means Emmanuel, God with us. It means Jesus here. And so we've been unpacking what Christmas means. And when we talk about Christmas, we're referring more to the Christ event. When I, when I say the Christ event, I'm talking about the birth, the life of Jesus. You realize the life of Jesus and the way Jesus lived has a significance to us if we want to follow Jesus, right? The life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus, all of these things are, are included when we talk about the Christ event, but not even just the events of Jesus' life, because the events of Jesus' life 
are sealed or completed on Pentecost when God sends the Holy Spirit to indwell the followers of Jesus so that they could continue the mission of Jesus. Jesus. So, so when we're talking about the Christ event, we're talking about all those things. Now, week one, we talked about experiencing Jesus. And, and, and Jesus is present to us because of the Christ event, even now in our everyday, ordinary lives. Even when we sometimes fail him, Jesus is available to us. And that's a good time to say amen, right? You know, we're, we're thankful that, that even though we don't always get it right, and even though we, we don't always feel like we're significant, God is present to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. God is here. Jesus is here. The Spirit is here. And we can be fully in the presence of God, even in our everyday, ordinary lives. And so we explored that the first week. And then the second week, we shifted gears just a bit. It's not just about experiencing the presence of God in our life, but it's also about participating in the mission of Jesus, that, that somehow God is empowering us and is using us so that we can continue the Christ event. Uh, the, the book of Acts is an open-ended story that, that does not end, but it continues. And we are writing Acts 29 at right now in our lives as we continue the mission of Jesus and we continue to be Jesus here. Now, now that's a big task. I, I know when we're talking about being Jesus here and, and having the mind of Jesus Christ and, and loving like Jesus Christ and, and walking like Jesus did, that is a huge task. That's bigger than us. And so we need guides. We, we need to, to look somewhere to see what that might look like and how we live this. And Hebrews 12.2 says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so the Hebrew writer is saying, okay, you've got this huge task before you. And immediately prior to this verse, he has given us Hebrews 11, which is the hall of faith, these great followers of God that we find in the Old Testament. And he's saying, you have this great task before you. And if you want to complete your mission successfully, what you need to do is place your attention fully on Jesus. So, so we look at Jesus. We, we look at the biblical record. We, we look at what the Bible says about how Jesus lived his life. And, and, and today we're talking about the source of life, where we find life, where we find our power in life. So the question is, how was Jesus resourced? What, what was the source of Jesus' power? What, what drove Jesus? What, what gave Jesus passion? What, what enlivened Jesus to serve and love like he did? How was Jesus able to minister in his life the way that he did? Jesus was fully dependent on his Father. Now, you, you see this throughout Scripture. Je Jesus oftentimes talks about his dependence 
on his heavenly father. And he'll, he'll say things like, you know, I can't do anything unless I see the father doing it first. All that I accomplish comes from the will of him who sent me. I, I'm here to accomplish his will. I'm not here on my own. I'm here to do the, the, the will of him who sent me. Now, John 5.30, Jesus says this, I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus was utterly, completely dependent on his Father. And Jesus lived a life of complete dependence on his Father. Now, let's, let's track this back. He, in Philippians chapter 2, Paul tells us that when Jesus came, that he emptied himself. That, that Jesus was eternally one with the Father, but, but he emptied himself and took on the form of human flesh. He emptied himself of, of the attributes of God, the omnipresence. He can only be in one place. He, he emptied himself of all knowledge and all knowing, and he placed himself in human form. Jesus became a baby. Think about that for a second. Jesus became a baby and was dependent on Mary and Joseph for life. He was dependent on his heavenly father, placing him in a family that would care for him in a way that led to life. Jesus was wholly dependent on his father. Now, I believe that, that when Jesus performed miracles, it was not because Jesus practiced superhuman power, but Jesus practiced faith and his heavenly father performed miracles through Jesus. Now, now don't get me wrong. Jesus was the perfect son of God. He was still all God. But I believe Jesus in human flesh was wholly, completely dependent on his heavenly father. Jesus turned water into wine, not in his own strength, but in faith in the Father, depended on the Father to accomplish what he willed. Je Jesus didn't walk on the water because he had natural buoyancy. Jesus walked on the water because his heavenly Father held him above the waves. Jesus didn't feed the multitudes, but his heavenly Father fed the multitudes through Jesus. I confirm, I affirm to you the miracles of Jesus, but they weren't performed because Jesus was superhuman. They were performed because the Father worked those miracles through Jesus. The greatest miracle of Jesus. What was the greatest miracle of Jesus? The resurrection, right? Now, Jesus died on the cross. And he rose from the dead. Jesus did not raise himself from the dead. Scripture confirms over and over that it was the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. Which is significant when you think about it because Jesus went to the cross dying in complete faith on the Father to raise him from the dead that he wasn't going to raise himself, that he couldn't get out of this on his own, but he was dependent and, and faith and hope depended on the Father to raise him from the dead. Jesus was dependent 
on the Father. So why does that matter? To be Jesus here, we must be fully dependent on the Father. If we have any hope of living this life that, that I believe we're called to live, if we have any hope of, of continuing this mission of Jesus, then we are called to be fully, wholly dependent on the Father. If we as a church want to be a church that demonstrates Jesus here, we must be dependent on the Father. Now, can we take this a step further? The life of Jesus matters. And the life of Jesus matters to us because Jesus in human flesh, He is all God, but He is all human. Jesus in human flesh was able to be dependent on the Heavenly Father. And Jesus modeled dependence in His humanity. That means that the life of Jesus is something that we can follow. That, that Jesus doesn't just set this example. It's not just superhuman Jesus modeling dependence on the Heavenly Father. But Jesus in human flesh depended on the Father. And we can, in our human flesh, depend on our Heavenly Father. Now, we see this throughout Scripture. And Jesus invites us oftentimes to depend on the Heavenly Father and, and, and be rooted, to abide, to remain in Him. John 15 is, is this great passage where Jesus is inviting His disciples to be firmly rooted in God, to, to find their life in God, to, to be dependent on God for their very being, to realize that apart from God, they could do nothing. Jesus realized, apart from God, he could do nothing. And he's inviting his disciples in the same way to find that they, apart from God, they can do nothing. John 15, beginning in verse 1. I'm going to read this from the message this morning. Jesus says, I am the real vine, and my father is the farmer. He cuts off every branch of me that doesn't bear grapes. And every branch that is grape-bearing, he prunes back so it will bear even more. You already pruned back by the message I've spoken. Live in me. Make your home in me. And, and other translations say, abide in me. Make your home in me, just as I do in you, in the same way that a branch cannot bear grapes by itself, but only by being joined to the vine, you cannot bear fruit unless you're joined with me. I am the vine. You are the branches. When you're joined with me and I with you, the relation, intimate and organic, the harvest is sure to be abundant. Separated, you can't produce a thing. Anyone who separates from me is dead wood, gathered up and thrown on the bonfire. But if you make yourselves at home with me and my words are at home in you, you can be sure that whatever you ask will be listened to and acted upon. This is how my Father shows who He is when you produce grapes, when you mature as my disciples. I've loved you the way my Father has loved me. Make yourselves at home in my love. If you keep my commands, you'll remain intimately at home in my love. That's what I've done. Kept my Father's commands and made myself at home in His love. I've told you these things for a purpose, that my joy might be your joy and your joy wholly mature. Now, let's think about that illustration that Jesus gives just for a moment. Husbands, how many of you 
in the last six months have brought home cut flowers for your wife? None of us. Okay, there's one. All right, Todd Gates, you, you win the prize. We should do that, right, men? Women say amen. Amen? Yeah. So, you know, every once in a while, not often enough, I'll take flowers to Terry or send flowers to Terry. And, and we'll put them in a vase or is it a vase? I don't know. What, what's the, what's, how do we say it here? Put it in a vase and we put, we'll put water in the vase and we'll put some sort of preservatives in the water. And, and those flowers will have the appearance of life for a time, but not for long. After a while, even placing the water stems in a vase will not retain the appearance of life, but instead they'll begin to dry up and die. Why? Because it's not connected to the root. And see, the question for me today is, are you connected or connecting? See, there's a difference. It's possible to come to a Sunday morning service and begin to see Sunday morning service as your time of connecting. And then the rest of the week, you're kind of on your own. And the truth is, when we live in that way, in the times that we are disconnected, we will not have the life that God intends for us. See, I believe... I believe God's desire for you and God's desire for me is that we would be connected to the vine and not simply connecting. That, that, that our, our, our experience of the presence and provision of God would not only occur on Sunday morning, but it would occur Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday throughout the week. That, that, that our connection with God would not just be simply a devotion time connection and then we're on our own, but, but it would be the reality of our day-to-day, hour-by-hour, minute-by-minute life, this connection with our Heavenly Father. And I believe that's what Jesus is inviting us to do. So, see, sometimes we divide sacred from secular. That, that, that somehow there's my sacred life, and that's my church life, that's my, my Bible reading life, that's, that's when I'm praying, that, that's when I feel closest to God. And then there's my everyday, ordinary, secular life. My going to work life, my, my, my going about my business life, my, my, my yelling at my kids' life. No, that's not part of anybody's life, right? But, but, but there's this life and then our sacred life. And, and I think when we see things like that, we miss the whole point of Christmas. The whole point of Jesus' coming was not to continue this sacred and secular dichotomy, but it's to bring these things together with a realization that all of life is sacred. That God invites us to see every part of our life as sacred and holy and significant and full of His presence and provision. So are you connected Are you connecting? Are you aware of God's presence in your everyday, ordinary life? In the 17th century, there was a a monk named Brother Lawrence. Anybody ever read The Practice of the Presence of God? Uh, He was a monk, and and Brother Lawrence was, he never rose in in significance in his order above cook. That's all he was. He was just a cook in in a simple um, monk brotherhood. And Brother Lawrence had made it a habit of practicing the presence of God so much that, that he said that whether he was 
at prayer or whether it was washing dishes. And for those of you from Indiana, washing dishes is more appropriate, I guess. Whether it was at prayer or washing dishes, he sensed God's presence in the same way. That, that God was present to him in his ordinary life, and he was aware of that presence. And, and so a book was written about him in the 17th century called The Practice of the Presence of God. It, it's probably worth reading. It's a little bit difficult in reading because it's written in the 17th century, uh, but it's worth reading. And, and Brother Lawrence says this, Think often on God by day, by night, in your business, and even in your diversions. He is always near you and with you. Leave him not alone. God is present and will be present with you wherever you go this week. Now, you say, oh, Pastor, okay, I, that's, that's good. That's Sunday school stuff. That's, I expect pastors to say that. But, but the truth is, sometimes I don't experience his presence in the same way. Who went shopping on Black Friday? I did not sense God in that place, I'll be honest. Uh, it, was, it was kind of, I saw Christy Payne ripping stuff from people as they were trying to purchase it. And uh, I said, that, she, I said, please don't wear your Marysville Nazarene stuff when you're doing that. And, and uh, no, I really didn't. You know, she didn't have her Marysville Nazarene stuff on. Um. <laughs> you know, there's times that we do not experience God as nearly as we'd like. Amen. Can, can we be practical enough to say, uh, when, when you have a fight at home, and I know pastors never have fights at home, uh, can I tell you, we have fights at home every once in a while. I, there, right, Terry? <laughs> I guess we don't, because we're, we're holy. We have um, differences of opinion. And uh, anybody have differences of opinion at home? Raise your hand, right? If you're human, if you're human from time to time, you have different views on things from other people. If you have any passion about life from time to time, you have different views on things. And in those times, it's hard to sense God's presence is real. Well, when you go to the doctor and they give you a bad diagnosis, it's sometimes difficult to experience God's presence as nearly. When, when, when maybe finances aren't going as well as you'd like, sometimes it's harder to hear from God. So, so there's times in our life that, that it's unquestioned that, that to say, oh yeah, God is present may be our theology and our belief, but the reality may not match up with the theology and the belief. But, but there are habits that we can undertake. There are things that we can do. There's exercises that we can do that can allow us to be more aware of God's presence in our day-to-day life. Certainly a Sunday morning gathering like this is meant to be an exercise, not just in experiencing the presence of God in this place, in this select time, on a Sunday morning, but it should be an exercise that allows us to experience God through the rest of the week. I've heard Sundays and Wednesdays and Sunday nights described like this. Well, that's when I refill. (laughs) That's like going to a gas station. I want you to know that this is not a gas station that you're filled up and then you empty yourself till you come back. This, this is a place where you practice the presence of God so that when you need filled up on Monday, you can experience God's presence and be filled up. 
And so this is a practice. This is a habit. You know, don't forsake gathering together as some are doing, but continue to gather together because in this practice, we recognize the voice of our Heavenly Father. We, we love one another. We sense God's love through each other. We sense the power of the Holy Spirit in a significant and a unique way because of the gathering. And it's something that trains us for through the week. Personal devotions. When you have your personal devotions, that is not putting gas in the car, but, but instead it is an exercise that allows us to recognize the voice of the presence of God. Now, I am an advocate of this. If you do devotions one time a day, you know, and, and that works for you, that's, that's great, but, but I've found in my life that oftentimes I need to come back more than once. And so if you only have 30 minutes a day to do devotions, I'd recommend you do 10 minutes in the morning, 10 minutes in the, at noon, and 10 minutes at night. That, that somehow throughout your day, you would find opportunities to talk to God and listen to God and hear from His Word. Now, if you're doing four hours, that makes it easy. You can do four hour, one-hour blocks, okay? Who's doing four hours? Raise your hand. All right. I got one hand there. No? Okay, no hands? So, so these habits allow us to, to, to experience God's presence. Now, here's some other ones. Have you ever used Post-it notes for reminders? So you've so you got to remember to, to pick up the kids from school, uh, uh, you know, and don't laugh. Spencer, how many times have I forgotten to pick you up, bud? Hey, poor kid. The, the youngest child is always abused in some way. Uh, so you put Post-it notes to remind you. Have you ever thought about putting Scripture on Post-it notes? Uh, reminding you of the presence of God, and, and putting those post-it notes on places that you encounter throughout the day. Maybe putting it on, a, um, on your desk at work or your computer at work, and every time you get up from your computer, uh, you put it right in the middle of the screen, and when you sit back down, you move it and you put it somewhere else. Maybe put it on your chair so you remember to, to, to uh, put it back on the screen. So every time you see that, you're reminded through that scripture of the presence and the provision of God. Maybe you put it on your, your, your cell phone. That, that's, you put it on the face of your cell phone. How many of you, see, this is the habit everybody has, uh, many people have. How many of you have, and I, there's no guilt here, how many of you look, have looked at your cell phone as you said in this service this morning at least one time? Raise your hand. Yeah, I know it. I do it too. It's like a habit, right? You pull it out of your pocket and you go like that for whatever reason. You open it up, see if you've got any messages. Well, what if instead of having a picture of your family, which is on mine now, and I'm thinking about changing mine. Sorry, family, I love you. But what about instead of having a picture of your family as your screensaver, what if your screensaver was a verse? That, that every time you looked at your phone, the first thing you saw was a verse that reminded you of the presence and provision of God. Well, what if you put that post-it note on the refrigerator? Now we'd see that a lot, right? Or what if you put it on, on any number of things? What, what, what if you got, I, I think of my Terry, and she likes to drink sodas and and and, uh, and and so what what if she what if you bought a cup that had a scripture on it that it, ooh, that every time you picked it up you were reminded that God was present and he would provide for your every need he placed these reminders in your life as avenues to create the habit of reminding yourself of the presence of God and there's other triggers what what if for this christmas season every time you saw a Christmas decoration, you would say a short prayer thanking God for his presence and his provision. 
So, so you see a Christmas tree, and you say, God, thank you for being here, and thank you for providing. Just reminders to yourself. And in this habit, you would create a new awareness of God's presence. Now, we've used this image as a, of a door for this series. And, and, and part of that's from the, the Revelation 3, when uh, God is speaking to the church, or Jesus is speaking to the church at Laodicea, and he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, that Jesus wants to be present in our everyday, ordinary life. What, what if every time you saw a door, or you walk through a door, you walk through it with an awareness that Jesus was present with you, that you weren't alone. What, what, what if you almost did like a kid with an, an imaginary friend, and you held the door just a little bit longer, just so Jesus could get through with you? And so every room that you walked in, every door that you walked through, what, what if you thought to yourself, Jesus is going through this door with me. And whatever I face in this room, whatever happens in this next moment of time, Jesus is right here with me, providing for me and empowering me to be Jesus here. Not like, it's not about God's presence and, and believing that he's present, but it's also about depending on God. See, Jesus wasn't just aware of his heavenly Father's presence, but Jesus was fully, wholly dependent on his heavenly Father. So let me ask you, when was the last time it was clear that you were operating God's power and not your own power? See, we oftentimes live completely dependent on ourselves. And I believe the life of Jesus teaches us that we find life through God. That, that every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father above. And so we rejoice that, you know, jobs are good. Amen? Somebody say jobs are good. It's good to have income. It's, it's good to have food. It's good to have all these resources. But, but they're not something that we've earned, that we deserve. But they're a gift from the Father above. God gives life. All of life. So all these things in our life that we experience, family and, and, and health and, and income and, and food and resources, all these things come from the hand of God, and we are completely, utterly dependent on Him. So, Pastor, that, that, that's, that's radical. It's radical to, to look like that. You, you know, Jesus doesn't, call, Jesus doesn't call followers to a partial faith, but a radical faith. I, I, you know, it'd be, it'd, be, it'd be easier as a pastor to stand up here and talk about some partial uh, feel good faith that Jesus calls us to a life of dependence on our Heavenly Father. Jesus doesn't call us, okay, uh, reap the benefits of what I've done and, and then you'll enjoy heaven at the end of life and I'll, I'll pour blessing upon blessing upon you. But Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. See, see this isn't a cheap grace, as Bonhoeffer uses the phrase. This isn't a cheap grace. This is a call 
to give up our very life for God. Now, I will say this. Before this sounds like all dread and bad news, it's not. Can I tell you there's not been one thing that I've given up for God, that I've given to God, that he's not returned more? In the first service, I used this example, and it was probably a bad one, but we'll use it again. Imagine you get a, a, a reindeer tie for Christmas, all right? It's a nice reindeer tie, but it's got, you know, Rudolph's nose is even lit up on the tie. And, and, you know, it's probably something you wouldn't wear, but okay, it's a gift. And, and you go and exchange it, and when you go to the store and exchange it, they give you a new Lexus instead, right? <laughs> That'd be pretty cool, right? Imagine that to an infinite degree. All we have is death and chaos and decay. And we give it to Jesus, and he turns it into life. Try it. Give something to God and find out if what God gives you back isn't better. See, see, I believe the norm for, for the people of God, God's desire for you and God's desire for me is to live in this awareness of his presence and not only an awareness of his presence, but a thankfulness for his provision. Now, there's some habits you could do to, to help you with that as well. And the first one, don't, don't turn me off right when I say this, is tithing. Tithing is a habit that shapes our perspective of life and our reliance on God. In Malachi, the, the prophet says, bring all your tithes into the storehouse and see if God will not pour blessing upon blessing. What's the prophet saying? He said, when you place your dependence on God, and you say, even my finances belong to him, somehow God can bless you beyond what you already have. Now, now, now we're, we're not a prosperity gospel place. I, I'm not going to say you're going to live in the biggest house in town or drive the nicest car, but I can tell you this, God is faithful. And what you give to him, God can use and bless and I'm concerned in the church that oftentimes we give him everything but our money. And that somehow our money becomes our God. And tithing is a, is a habit that can free you from the tyranny of, of a consumeristic age. What about another one? How about thanksgiving? Do you practice thanksgiving? Are you in the habit of giving God thanks? See, thanksgiving, being thankful, is not just an attitude, but it's an action. It's something that we can do. And, and to be thankful is to give God thanks for the things, the blessings in your life. And if, if we were to truly thank God for all the good things in our life, we would be here for a long time, right? God has blessed us in so many ways. And thanksgiving is a habit that orients our attitude. And it makes us aware that God remains present, that God still provides for us, and God is leading us and giving us all that we need for life even here and now. And I would encourage you over the next, over the next month, take the time each day to give God thanks for the things that he's placed into your life. See, I, I believe the norm for the people of God is that they live in this awareness, even in our ordinary life, even in our 
secular life, that we would live in this awareness that God is the giver of all good gifts, that God is present, and God is with us. Now, the Apostle Paul understood that. He, he understood uh, that, that even though he was going through difficult times, the Apostle Paul understood that everything came from his heavenly Father. In Philippians 4, 10 through 13, this is one of Paul's prison letters. And it's, it, it's near the end of Paul's life, pretty close. And so Paul's went through all sorts of hardship. He, he's been beaten multiple times to, the, to within the, an, an inch of his life. He's been imprisoned. Uh, after he's imprisoned in Jerusalem, he's shipwrecked. After he's shipwrecked, he's bitten by a snake. Anybody ever have a road trip like that, right? And, and then he's placed in prison in Rome. And he writes these words in Philippians 4, beginning in verse 10. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Okay, can you say that with me? I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, now there's two implications in this passage. The, the first implication that, that you can't get away from is, is that Paul, as a follower of Jesus, was called to this mission that was bigger than him. He was called to continue the mission of Jesus Christ, to have the mind of Christ, to love like Jesus, to walk like Jesus, to be Jesus here. And to accomplish those things, he could only do it through the will of God. And Paul was fully resourced in God. Now, Paul's invitation, and, and this is the misuse of this, it is not an invitation that whatever I want to do, God will give me the strength to do it because I claim it. Uh, for instance, I would really like to play in the NBA. But it's not going to happen, right? You understand why? Do I have to explain that to you? And I can claim, I can claim that, and I can say, oh, you know, I can do all things, but I can't do that. But I can do whatever God's called me to do. I can walk through whatever trial God has allowed me to experience because I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Ask Amy to come and, and play as we close out. All, all, all heads bowed, all eyes closed just for a moment. Jesus is inviting us to something more than religion. And we say it often in, in, in our church. It's not about religion, it's about relationship. Jesus is inviting us to this intimate, knowing relationship with our Heavenly Father in which we sense His presence, in which He's at work in our life, we're wholly, completely dependent on Him. He's not inviting us to be rule keepers, but He's inviting us to be fully in love with our Heavenly Father and live in that love. And I know it's possible. It's possible to be in church 
and going through the motions. And, and I want to give you an invitation this morning, an opportunity. If you're longing for more, if somehow you feel like you're living in the midst of religion and God's calling you to relationship and you want to live in that relationship, would you just raise your hand real quick? You see that hand? Any other hands? Okay, you can look up. Stand with me if you will. We use altars here. Not, not all churches use them, and I, you know, whatever, whatever works for a congregation is fine, but we've used them, and they've been here, and, and I love them. I, I just do. I mean, it's, I, I understand that historically, biblically, maybe this wasn't the way it was done, and it's, maybe it's a, an offspring of the evangelical movement, but that's okay. God uses, God uses things, right? And so these altars have been significant, not because they're special, but the consecrations, the that the commitments that are made at the altars have been significant. And so most weeks we, we make our altars available just for a time of prayer. And, and maybe, maybe you're just trying to carry this all on your own, and, and this is just a good time just to give it to God. In my counseling with people, almost always the thing that is the most prevalent, prevalently going on is someone struggling trying to carry the load themselves. And so maybe this morning you just want to come forward and just say, God, it's yours. Now that won't be the end of the journey, but this is a good place to start, right? Maybe you've not experienced his presence like you'd like in the last few weeks, few months, and you just want a fresh touch from him. Can I tell you, this is a good place to experience that. So I'm going to give you a few moments. If you'd like to come, come quickly, and then we're going to close with a time. Our Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your presence. You are here, and you're good. And you give us every good and perfect gift so that we can live a life that's full of you. Lord, I'm thankful for for every time you prompted me to let go so that I could live more fully in your love. Lord, I, I found that in your love, every relationship that I have is better. You don't call us to a place where where life is miserable and and hard, Lord, but you call us to a place where life is fully experienced. Even in hard times, God, you have the ability to take my difficult days and to turn it into something in which you receive all the praise and all the glory. So Lord, I I pray that um, we will live in a greater awareness of you, your love, your care, that, that you see us, that you hear from us, that our prayers aren't simply bouncing off the ceiling, but Lord, you are engaged with us. Not just on a Sunday morning where we've all gathered, Lord, but when we're driving to work on Tuesday and there's too much to do, that we can be aware that you sit beside us, that you see us and you care. On Wednesday, Lord, when when maybe there's conflict and and we need to, to rest more in you, Lord, you'll give us the ability to see clearer, to sense your presence. Lord, I need you. I need you every hour. 
The truth is I can't do this on my own. But the hope, the promise is you can use empty vessels. Where we are weak, you are strong. And Lord, when we lift our hands to you, palms up, Lord, when we surrender to you, you can fill us with your spirit in a fresh and a mighty and a new way. And Lord, we can live a transformed life. Lord, I pray for those who may be struggling letting go of things. I know how hard it can be. Lord, I pray that you'll just give fresh opportunity, that your spirit will continue to talk. And Lord, as you, um, as you call us, as you lead us, we'll go. Now, Lord, I pray for our church. I pray for those who are hurting. Lord, I, I pray for those who are recovering from getting ready for surgery, that you'll be with them. I lift up our country. Lord, I lift up those in authority over us. May they come to an awareness that it's not by their strength and not by their might. It's not by their philosophy or their their education or their intelligence that revival will come to our country, Lord. But it's in fully submitting to you. Lord, protect those who protect us. Guide us, Lord. Help us to find our way in you. And if we go from this place, Lord, may we go not in our own power, but in your power, knowing that you are able to guide and sustain us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless.